Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. Thank you for streaming this message. I believe this message will encourage you, it will inspire you, and it'll help you live the supernatural lifestyle of faith. We want you to live this supernatural lifestyle of faith, not have supernatural moments, but have it as a lifestyle. So we put all of this content out for you to receive so you can grow and live the life that Jesus made available for you. To find more information about our ministry and our resources, you can visit us at FCCGA.com or you can download our Faith Plus app. Our Faith Plus app has thousands of hours of faith building content and it's available in your app store right now. Open your heart. God's going to share something special to you through this message. Jesus is our way maker. And he cares about every detail of your life. And the Holy Spirit who leads you and guides you into all truth, into all truth, has been talking to many of you in here about specifics. You know, every big thing is basically a bunch of really little things coming all together by design. This building that we're in, wherever you are online, wherever you're at, if you're in your home or in your car, when, you, when this building project, let's talk about this church, first started, it didn't look anything like it does right now. They worked on the foundation. If you didn't know this was going to be a church, you may not have been able to guess that, right? And it took time. It took time. But work was being done by design and in time. We have this big building and it is accomplishing what it was created to do. Right? At some point in the process, I'm sure it just looked like a mess. At some point in construction, at some point in remodeling, at some point in building, things just look like a mess. But it was always purpose to be this place where we'd gather, where people would be set free. They'd hear from God, they'd grow closer to the Lord, they'd give their life to Christ, lives changed. Their children's lives changed. Their grandchildren's lives changed. So maybe where you're at right now in the journey looks like a mess. Well, first, God is not afraid of your mess. And there is absolutely nothing too hard for him. And there is no place too low to begin and for him to turn it into what it was always meant to be. That is what he does. But it's not going to go from the mess to this overnight. Now, what you'll do is you'll see, you'll see the progress. And we should see the progress. It's evidence of growth. We see the progress. We see the results of us doing the work the way that the Lord has asked of us to do it. But it's not a building yet. And that's okay. Because you can't get to the building without going through this part of it. This part is very important. You can't even have certain things happen if you just skip this whole level. And I get it. You don't like this level. You don't, it doesn't feel good. This place doesn't feel good. This part doesn't feel good. We don't like this part. 
But without this part, you're not going to have something that is a key, a key part of um, you being successful. The Lord's ways are higher than ours, and he knows exactly what it is that we ought to do to become, to overcome. We are overcomers, and we are because Jesus is our Lord, and he leads us, and he guides us into all truths, and he makes the way for us, and we believe him. So these small things that the Holy Spirit's been leading and guiding you and telling you to do, that you've been choosing to see is unimportant because they don't appear to be huge. They're not big. They don't seem important and you don't want to do them anyway. Matter of fact, they're painful and in you doing them it makes you want to quit the whole entire project altogether because you just hate this part. First, it's a huge blessing to know God's will and to have direction in the specifics of your situation. So these are the keys to you as an individual in your personal situation. These are the keys for you to be successful. These, this is how you win. And maybe God's not telling your neighbor to do that. It doesn't change that it's how you are to win. Yes, I know we'd all love it. It was a group collective, but that's not what is happening. <laughs> Last week, we, we, you know, the Lord told some of you to stop eating sweets. Maybe he didn't tell your spouse that. <laughs> no, really. Or maybe he didn't tell your best friend that. Maybe he didn't tell your neighbor that, but he still gave you the answer to you winning and overcoming and being successful. It is your obedience in these really small things that will build in time, in time. Time is a key part, and you can't skip it. If we told you this building was building today, you guys, some of y'all be like, Baptist finger up, I'm leaving because something is not structurally sound here, because we all know that it doesn't take a day. The Bible let us know that it is your faith combined with your patience that allows you to see the promises that he's given to you in your life. He tells us that as long as the earth remains, there will always be seed. You are putting the right seed in the ground. There's always going to, it's always going to require time. And then you'll see the harvest. So the enemy has been lying to, to some of you. And because it, it doesn't feel good, it, it, feels, it feels so bad that you are becoming confused as to whether things are getting better or worse. And you see the growth. You see it. You've said this is God. You've seen this is God. Some of you are like, fasting from sweets is making it worse. <laughs> no, you know it's true. And we all know that's not true. The doctors don't agree with that. Your body is actually getting better, but you're also going through withdrawal, so it feels like it feels. And it seems as if it was better before, but it wasn't better before. So that is a lie from the enemy 
You see the growth. It doesn't feel right, but you cannot be led by your feelings. You have to continue to do what it is that the Holy Spirit has instructed you to do. You have to continue to do what it is that you find in the Word of God. Anytime you, you know, the Word, me and my, my daughters are singing this in the car, the Word of God is the will of God. Anytime you see the Word of God, you want to make sure you're applying in your life because it is His will, but you have to couple it with time. Now, what is going to happen is in time, things are going to get easier. And without question in time, there's going to be change. And also, you don't know what you're doing. You have no clue what you are doing. God knows that that scholarship is coming. So when he told you to go to that school, he knew that the money or the job opportunity, the raise or the increase would be provided. You didn't know that. God knew that that business, that rival of yours was going to go out of business and that you would get their clients. You didn't know that. So when God was telling you to prepare to expand and you like, expand for what? <laughs> I'm trying to rub two, two, I'm trying to save, I'm trying to keep the two clients that I have from walking out the doors. He knew that, but you didn't. When he told you to write that book in the middle of the storm, he knew you were going to be on the other side of the storm. And he also knew that as soon as you were on the other side of the storm, that book was going to be used to open up doors to allow you to prosper on time, in the right time. God knows exactly what he's doing, and he absolutely cares. So when he's telling you to do these things, it's definitely not because he doesn't love you and because you've done so much and he's punishing you and to see you fail because it's not going to work anyway. That is not what is happening. He is giving you the keys to success. And, and really, that's as good as it gets. Whatever it is that he has asked you to do, That's how you win. So don't allow the, the enemy, who is great at being a liar, that's what he is, he's a liar, to convince you that God's not for you, it won't work, you can do better. You've already tried doing better. That's how we got here in the first place. Right? So what God has in store for you this season is amazing, and you already know it. So do not allow your feelings to get you outside of the will of God. Keep doing what you've learned thus far is wise and righteous and right. And when you make a mistake, get back up again, because that is also wise and righteous and right. And when he asks you to apologize or to make it right, you do that. Some of you, the Lord has been asking you to fix the situation, but because you're so embarrassed that you're in the situation, you haven't done anything. Make it right with that person. And some of you are thinking, but what if I do it again? That's God's working on you in regards to that. 
And in time, like Pastor Carrick said, it's going to have to bow. So he's working, and you see it, but there's a lot more to it, and that's going to take time. It doesn't happen overnight. Nothing is wrong with you. This is the work. This is the fight of faith. So do not allow that to stop you from being obedient, to stop you from believing him. Amen. For those of you who are like, you know, my life looks like a mess right now, and I'm doing what God says looks like it got worse. Do you guys remember, have anybody ever mopped like a big kitchen that was really dirty with the old school mop? That after you dip it in the bucket of water and you add your cleaning solution, you know, I prefer the lemony fresh one. My parents used to say they always knew when I did my chores because the lemon would fill the entire house, and they would know the lemon before they even looked down at the floor. But when you start with that and begin to mop, the floor looks worse. But you know it's the process to become clean. So don't get discouraged because it looks like a mess. The mop just got started. And to say more than just about your life, people are talking about what's been going on in this nation for the last 10, 15, 20 years. This nation is not getting worse. The mop has been applied. And America shall become everything it's supposed to become before the return of the Lord. That's why the mop's been applied. So I don't agree with those, oh, America's getting worse. No, it's not. Oh, America's over. No, it's not. I'm here. Why would I wish for something to go down and I'm here? Oh, no, no, no. Now, if we all disappeared and got raptured, that's when you'd be concerned. But as long as we're here, we preserve it. And we assist Jesus with the mopping. Because what happens? When this nation becomes what God wants it to become, there's going to be such a breakthrough, not just in this nation, but all around the world. And it's going to bring billions into the kingdom of God. So don't join in with saying in your life, my life is getting worse. And don't join with others saying this nation's getting worse. Because both was wrong. The mop has been applied. And great things are in store for you, and great things are in store for this country. Last Sunday, we talked about four keys to freedom. We said, number one, fall in love with Jesus. Number two, serve God through relationship, not rules. Number three, respond to all sin with light. And number four, guard your heart from going back. That's what we covered last Sunday. If you weren't here last Sunday, I encourage you to listen to the message on podcast, the app, or our YouTube channel. On Wednesday night, we talked about five areas of dependence that helps us experience this life of freedom. These five areas of dependence was depend on God's wisdom, not your own. Depend on God's strength, not your own. Depend on God's timing, not your own. Depend on God's defense, not your own. Depend on God's wealth, not your own. So let's go further in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, one of our key passages for the series. Notice what Jesus says about himself. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. 
He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. Let's look at some definitions of some of these words again. This word liberty means release from bondage or imprisonment. It means forgiveness or pardon of sins. This word broken, I was studying out this passage and I saw a book that I'm reading by Rick Renner had an even deeper definition of what we shared before, so I want to share that with you today. This word broken, this word was also used describing those who walked on and crushed grapes. This word was describing all those who walked on or crushed grapes. Anybody grew up watching Nick at Night? Y'all remember the I Love Lucy episode when her and Ethel were just walking around that pit, stomping all those grapes? That's what this word is talking about, those who would walk and stomp on and crush grapes. But this word was also used for the grinding of bones into dust. This word was also used to describe the grinding of bones into dust. So this word paints the picture of those who have been walked on by others, crushed by others, or feel as they have been smashed to pieces by life or relationships. I must say that again. This paints the picture of those who have been walked on by others, crushed by others, or feel as they have been smashed to pieces by life or relationships. Since it says brokenhearted, it describes those who are emotionally shattered, tattered, and smashed by life. Let's talk about this word captive. We talked about it before. But this word captive literally means to be taken and controlled by a spear. So I'm a prisoner of war. But it paints the picture of someone who's in shackles, and there's someone behind them with a sharp spear between their shoulder blades. And with any inflection of the spear, you can make that person move wherever you want them to move. So this word talks about someone who's captive, but also controlled. And they're being forced to go places, or forced to do things, they don't want to do. Look some more words. This word for oppressed here, set at liberty those who are oppressed, means crushed, broken in pieces, or shattered. This word for oppressed means crushed, broken in pieces, or shattered. This is the Greek word from where we get the word trauma. Set at liberty those who are oppressed. The word oppressed in the Greek is where we get the word trauma trauma. Jesus said, I'm anointed to deal with all of this. So the thing is, if we keep them some of the, you know, the King James text, the New King James text, oh, these are some great spiritual things Jesus came to deal with. But when you break it down, you see, Jesus came to deal with your life. That he has a solution for those of you who have been traumatized by life. He has a solution for those who have been walked on, crushed, stomped by others in relationships. For those of you who feel captive, it says, something's controlling me, I can't stop this. There is a solution that Jesus has for you. This is a summer of freedom, and it's time for those things to fall off of you. Remember, we said Isaiah 61.1, because Jesus was quoting Isaiah 61 here. The ending says, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. 
the opening of the prison. If the prison door is open, all you have to do is walk out. 1 John 3, 8 says Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. That word destroy means loosen. If it's loose, all you have to do is shake it off. The fact that the chains are loose and the prison door is open lets me know nothing can hold you forever. Anything that tells you you are stuck this way for the rest of your life is a lie from the pit of hell. Anything that says you were born this way, you will always be this way, there's no hope for you ever getting better, is a lie from hell. Anything that says because you were this way, and your daddy was this way, and your grandma was this way, and your great-grandpa like this this way, you will be stuck this way too, is a lie from hell. Jesus came to loose the chains and open the door. Nothing can hold you forever. I don't care what the situation is. I don't care what the name is. I don't care what the addiction is. I don't care what the diagnosis is. I don't care what hell has done. I don't care what your family has partnered with. I don't care how many witches and warlocks are in your background. I don't care what other gods they worship in other continents. It does not matter. It cannot hold you forever. Jesus came, and he is still working today, and says, I'm anointed to deal with all of that mess. So we need to change the way we think. Because if we think we're trapped forever, we'll be trapped forever, even though the door is open. Go to Colossians chapter 1. Let's look at verse 20. You're not stuck this way. So let's deal with some of our thinking today. Colossians chapter 1. Verse 20 and 21. And it says, And by him, Jesus, to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. The New Living Translation says it this way, And through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by the means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Now, sometimes we think it's just our actions that separate us from God. Okay, the sin, our actions, that's what keeps me away from God. But notice it also said your thoughts. Jesus came to bring us back together again. It's the ministry of reconciliation. It's the gospel, the good news of reconciliation, to bring us back together again. Even though Jesus did the work, and you've received that finished work, and he's brought us back together again, is it possible that the way you think still keeps you separated from God? Jesus did the work. It's a finished work. And as you've heard today, he did a good job. But if we don't change the way we think, we'll still live as if we're separated from God, although Jesus already brought us back together. So let's look at the first time humanity was separated from God. Go to Genesis chapter 3. 
Sin separates, Jesus reconciles. Say with me, say, sin separates, but Jesus reconciles. Genesis chapter 3. Starting with verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman. So let's just pause right here. Remember, there are two places on earth at this time. The garden and the field. The garden was not a small garden. It's not like a backyard garden. This garden, when you look at the boundaries, covered parts of North Africa and the Middle East. If we were to look at it on the map today, this garden will cover multiple countries. So this is not a small place. So here comes this serpent from the field. It's a beast of the field. So something shows up in their garden that does not belong. And at this point, Adam and Eve both have the authority, the dominion, and the glory, and the power to deal with this thing, or at least address it, why are you here? Why are you in our presence? What has tripped up your life because you let something in that shouldn't be there? Because you had an off day, you decided to let something in. Well, I know they're not good for me, but I'm going to date them anyways because I'm lonely. I need to have a hot girl summer. Excuse you? <laughs> and he said, not only did you let it in, you let it talk. Now, for, it seems like they weren't even bothered by talking animals. So who knows? Maybe it was Narnia back then. But what are you allowing to talk to you that has no business talking to you? Because if it can talk to you, it can impart thoughts to you that has no business being in your head. What have you given permission to speak into your life? What have you given credence or value to that you value their opinion so much you listen to what they say and you follow it? Something showed up that shouldn't be there and you didn't deal with it, but now you listen to it. Has God indeed said, you should not eat of the tree of, uh, eat of every tree of the garden? Satan hasn't changed his tactics. He always puts doubt on the word of God or the command of God. That's his MO. That's his method of operation. Did God really say that? Now notice, he's, he is twisting what God said. God said, you can eat of every tree of the garden. And that's what Eve repeats. But one. Now remember, this is a huge place. In a garden that large, you can easily say there are thousands of trees, right? Maybe even tens of thousands. And it says the garden is filled with trees that are just beautiful and trees that are good to eat. So you had 10,000s, it's easy to say, of trees there to eat from, even the tree of life, which they could have eaten from whenever they wanted to. But there's just one tree right in the middle that they weren't supposed to eat from. So notice what Satan does. He twists it and is making them focus on the one rule on the one thing. And Eve says, well, no, we can't. We can eat from anything, but we can't eat that or touch it. If we do, we're going to die. Notice what the serpent says. You're not really going to die. God be exaggerating. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Let's pause there for a moment. Notice Eve's desire was to be like God. 
Is that a bad thing? No. Do you want to be like God? I do. We say, do you want to be godly? Does anybody want to be godly in here? We want to live like God. That is a good desire. And Eve should have the desire to be like God. But notice something about this. This desire to be like God, this is what she should pursue and what we all should pursue. But notice what the enemy did. He offered a different way to do it. God said, live this way. And Satan said, well, what about this way? It was a good desire, a good motive, but a twisted approach to life. And what Satan often does, you might have a good desire or a good motive, but he'll offer you a twisted way to get it done. See, he's called the wicked one. And wicked, the root word is there's wicker. You know, that twisted, you know, anybody, you know, if you... If you're a millennial, you might have taken pictures with parents or grandparents on that big wooden twisted chair. Anybody take, have those in your house? You've seen that before? Yeah. It's twisted. So Satan offers ways that are twisted. That means there's a little bit of good in there. But it's twisted. So he took a good desire and twisted it. And it says Eve looks at it, and notice what he says. She sees the tree, it's good for food, but it's desirable to make one wise. Is becoming wise a bad thing? No. It's a good thing. The Bible tells us to get wisdom, right? But she didn't realize something about this wisdom she was about to get. What they didn't realize was that the fruit was going to change their way of thinking. The way they thought about God, the way they saw themselves, and their entire world view. Notice that. They didn't know this wisdom that they're after was going to change their way of thinking, the way they thought about God, the way they saw themselves, and their entire world view. This new way of thinking would be a way of thinking that flows from separation from God. So my question to you today is, there are different types of wisdom in this world. Which one are you operating by? There are different types of wisdom in this world. Which one are you operating by? Because one of the things that Eve didn't realize with this temptation was she also had an identity crisis. Adam and Eve were already like God. They were technically the gods of the planet. Because the scripture says in the New Testament that Satan is the god, lowercase g, of this world. Well, how did he get that authority in the position? Adam and Eve gave it to him. So Satan came with a twisted temptation that played on her not understanding who she really was. How many times have you made decisions about your identity because you didn't understand something? And so you switched up your operating system because of what you didn't understand or because of what you felt. How many of feelings are not a good foundation for decision-making? Because how many of your feelings can change? Especially if you're hungry. You can go through a range of emotions in a couple minutes if you're hungry. And how many know that is not the time to say, this is who I'm gonna be? If you know that's how you act when you're hungry. 
that you shouldn't let your identity rest on something as loose and shaky as your feelings, as your emotions, what's popular. Yes, great song in the Broadway show Wicked. But don't live your life on what's popular. Because you can be popular one moment and forgotten the next. So that means you can't base your life on what people think or what people say. Because what they think and say can change. People can be iffy. Don't just say, oh yeah, people can, because you can be too. You have to have a more secure foundation for your identity. So many people live unstable lives because they don't know who they are. It's a state of confusion. And Satan loves to back states of confusion because what happens, you have confusion and disorder, and then instead of the five areas of dependence we talked about earlier, you begin to depend on the wrong things. And when you depend on the wrong things, he can shackle you. Go with me to James chapter 3. Let's answer this question. What, what wisdom are you operating by? I like to call wisdom an operating system. You know, the phones that have been ringing. They have an operating system. Which is a good reminder to silence the phones right now. Every phone has an operating system. That's how we could hear the rings. That's how we use the apps. That's how we do everything we do with the phone. Some of you may not have upgraded your operating system in a few years. Every device, our computers, they have operating systems. That's how we operate the device. Wisdom is an operating system. What, how are you operating? How are you accessing things? What is the foundation for your decision-making? What wisdom are you operating by? James chapter 3, verse 13. Notice what it says here. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is the ability to control your emotions. It's the ability to bring a fierce will under control. That word for meekness paints the picture of someone who's able to tame a wild animal. Someone who's able to take like a wild lion and tame it and put it in control. So it's not saying if you're meek, you have a weak will. No, you have a strong will that's under control. Now, any of you have a strong will child? Were any of you the strong will child? Let's just be honest. Yep, I see more hands. And so... You know, I noticed with one of my kids specifically, they had a strong will. But I could tell that by the time they were one. But the thing is, I don't want them to lose that strong will. We need them to keep that strong will. And so I started, when they were one, before they could even understand what I'm saying, I'm saying, you are strong, but you will always yield to what is right. Why? Because I want them to keep that strong will so that they can grow and do what God's called them to do and no one can get them off that path because they, oh, they're strong will, but they yield to what's right. So if you are strong-willed, a strong-willed person, that's not a bad thing. But you just have to learn how to keep that will in control. And that's what the fruit of meekness does. And he says there's this type of wisdom that produces meekness. But if you have bitter 
envy and self-seeking, King James says, strife in your hearts. Do not boast and lie against the truth. The wisdom that produces bitter envy and strife does not come from heaven, but it's earthly, sensual, and demonic. For where envy and strife exist, confusion and every evil thing or every work are there. You know, when I look at this passage, it reminds me of the church at Corinth. Now, when you read the church at Corinth, they were in such a special situation that when you read 1 Corinthians, there's also a reason why there's a 2 Corinthians. But in 1 Corinthians, it took Paul six chapters to correct them before he answered question one. They wrote him saying, we got questions. And Paul says, let me take six chapters to correct y'all before I answer the first question. The church at Corinth broke out into civil war, and here was the foundation debate who their favorite preacher was. People were like, oh, I like Paul. So I was like, I like Peter. So I was like, I like Apollos. Other people was like, I don't need a preacher. I got Jesus. And they were all fighting. The Greek language, it was a civil war. It got so bad, people from the church paid their own way to go find Paul, who was in another city, and says, bruh, we need you to step in to this mess. So Paul's writing them, also answering these other questions. And as he gets to point, he answers questions, and then he flips back to more correction. And he starts talking about the communion table. Now, the thing is, communion is different than what we receive today. What they did, they called them back there, one translation called it love feast. They would come together. It's that culture at that time, and they would have all these spreads of food. They come together to eat. Not a bad way to receive communion. That's just one way they did it. But they came, remember, they're in this place of strife where they're fighting over who their favorite preacher was, and it broke out into a civil war. So when they came together, as you heard today, they weren't really thinking about Jesus. What were they doing? They were now boasting over the food they brought. Not say, oh, yeah, I can cook this really good, but they can cook this really good, and hey, we come together, and everybody has good food. No, 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 no. So you would have people who would come, and they'll bring their food and say, I've been making this all day. It's all organic, non-GMO. I went to the best stores, and then we cooked it. And then this person I hired cooked this, and they made this sauce. And this is a weekend preparation, and it's expensive. Did I tell you how much money I spent on it already? And this is the food that I brought, not to share with you, but I'm going to eat in front of you. And all you did was go to churches and Popeyes and get that dry biscuit? This is what they're doing. This is how they receive communion. It would be even funnier if it wasn't so sad that people actually did it. This is what they were doing. It was no reverence. It was a fight. It was a show. Who brought what food? And as you heard earlier, they're getting drunk. This is a mess. And Paul writes someone says, this is why some of you are sick. This is why some of you are weak. And this is why you're dying early. But the open door for this mess came from that open door strife. But it even got worse. It's like, how can it get worse than that? Corinth was not known for its morals or its values as a city. Neither was the Roman Empire. You think people are wild today? The Roman Empire has us beat. The Roman Empire was a wild, loose place. But in the midst of a wild empire, if you really wanted to have a wild weekend, you go to Corinth. The phrase back then is if you had a wild Friday night, it was you acted like a Corinthian. 
So the Corinthians turned up on a whole nother level. They were known for doing that. Even their chief goddess of that area was known for encouraging that. To where, let me go, I'll go a little bit further, and I, I like history. And so the gods and goddesses that they worship in Corinth, instead of having preachers, prophets, priests, they have prostitutes. Wild place. Here's what Paul told these Christians. Sanctified, blood washed, Holy Ghost filled, operating the gifts of the Spirit. Y'all are sinning worse than the people in Corinth. It's gotten out that you guys are doing stuff that Corinthians even won't do. So here's the opinion to the world of Corinth. It's like, man, those Christians really know how to sin, man. Where did that come from? The open door of strife. That's why the scripture says, where there is bitter envy and strife, there is confusion and every evil work. And notice that was an operating system. And he's not, James here is not talking to sinners. He's talking to believers. Specifically the believers who were scattered after the persecution of Stephen in the book of Acts. He's writing to them, talking to them why their faith ain't working. And he's saying, which wisdom are you operating by? He's not talking to the world. It's a family meeting. So my question to you today is, which wisdom are you operating by? Because if it's a wisdom that leads to bitter envy and strife, the scripture says it's earthly, sensual, and demonic. And it will open the door to confusion and every evil thing and work. Verse 17 says, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure. Say pure. Then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So going back to Adam and Eve, this new wisdom they're going to operate by, this sin, way of thinking, wisdom, and new approach to life separated them from God. And notice the action of eating the fruit. It didn't start with eating the fruit. It started with entertaining a suggestion that should have been checked at the door. The process of being trapped up like this, it rarely starts with an action. It starts with the thought or way of thinking and thinking all those things or entertaining that thought process or touching it in your mind again and again before you actually begin to talk about it. And then you do it. This mentality, focusing on this today, this way of thinking, separated them from God in addition to the sin. Well, how do you know that? Genesis 3, 7 and 8. After they ate the fruit, the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves waist coverings. Now they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Well, what happened? Before they sinned, they were clothed in the very glory of God. Psalm 8 teaches us this, that they were surrounded and clothed in the glory of God. 
Romans 3, 23 tells us, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So when they sinned, the glory was removed. But not only was the glory removed, because even if the glory was removed and their thinking was the same, they wouldn't have hid themselves. Because Genesis 2.25 says they were naked and not ashamed. What happened after they ingested the fruit or ingested this new way of thinking, they felt the need to cover up and felt the need to run from God. And where, how do they cover up? With fig leaves. Not that comfortable. Sounds kind of itchy. Sounds like a bad idea. But how many people cover themselves out of shame with things they should never cover them up with in the first place? They were unashamed, and now they're full of shame. So they cover themselves with things that should not even be on their bodies, and now they run and hide from God. It's not just the glory that has lifted. Their thinking has changed. Before their thinking was innocent or pure, as Titus 1.15 says it this way, to the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but even their mind and conscience are defiled. So their way of thinking has changed. Instead of being innocent and pure, it's now defiled, contaminated, full of shame. And this shame causes them to cover themselves incorrectly and run from the presence of God. Shame is not a cure. And sadly, too many believers try to use shame to live holy. They use shame to be godly. They use shame to raise their children because you think it's going to get the result that you want. I used an example in Fayetteville this morning, and I said, imagine if you were camping and you built a fire. When you're done with that fire, you're supposed to put it out the correct way. There's a correct way to do this because we've all seen the cartoon, only you can prevent forest fires. But do you know what wouldn't be helpful to put it out? And I had one of the... Uh, person who had his background in camping and Boy Scouts there, I said, what if I took like a bucket of ice and just dumped it on the fire? Would I put it out? He said, no. I said, what would happen? It would go down for a little bit, but it would come back up. And eventually, if you don't put it out the right way, it could spread and cause a forest fire. Shame is the bucket of ice. You throw it on something, and it looks like it handled it, but it's coming back. And now that your back is turned, it's going to get worse. Shame is not a cure. Shame separates. Say, shame is not a cure. Shame separates. If you use shame as your approach to living a godly life, you will not enjoy the freedom that's available to you in Jesus. Shame is not the path to being holy. Shame is not the path to being godly. Shame is not the path to experiencing the freedom Jesus has for you, which is why today's message is called Free from Shame. Why? Hebrews chapter 12, I'm going to read verse 2 to you from the New Living Translation for the sake of time. It says, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross 
disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. So before we go forward, let me read you a definition of shame. It's the painful feeling arising from the consciousness of something dishonorable, improper, or ridiculous, done by oneself or another. The sense of failure in the eyes of another person. It carries with it the intense pain of feeling unworthy, disconnected, and unloved both by God or other people. Now I said, well, why would Jesus disregard or think little of the shame of the cross? Well, everything about dying on the cross was shameful. We think about it now because we know Jesus died on the cross, and now we use crosses, you know, for necklaces and decorations and identifications, and none of that is wrong. But 2,000 years ago, they would have never dreamed of that because everything about the cross was shameful. Romans called the cross the extreme penalty and the humiliation. In Greek and Roman times, a person would insult a person by saying to them to have a death on the cross. Everything about the cross was shameful. Greeks loved beauty and art, and they thought the cross was disgraceful and disdained it. The law taught dying on the tree was cursed. The Romans abhorred it so much that no Roman citizen could be crucified on the cross. Only non-citizens and the lowest of the criminals could receive the extreme penalty and the humiliation. Everything about Jesus' death was shame. Everything about it was shameful. Jesus bore the shame. And whatever Jesus bore or carried for us, it's our job to resist. Jesus bore our sins, so we resist sin, don't we? Jesus bore our sickness, so we resist sickness, don't we? Jesus carried your shame, so you resist shame. I'll take it a step further. You do not have the right to be ashamed. You have many rights in Christ, but you do not have the right to be ashamed because Jesus carried your shame. Shame will not make you holy. Shame will not make you godly. Shame might make you religious, but shame will trap you and will keep you from moving into the future God has for you. A little bit more about shame. Some of my final notes this morning. There is a difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is seeing what we have done. Shame is seeing ourselves as failures because of what we have done. Guilt is feeling bad about what we do. Shame is feeling bad about who we are. Guilt is an awareness of failure. Shame is a sense of failure in someone else's eyes. Guilt is about disobedience to the word. Shame is how others perceive us or how we see ourselves. Because when it comes to guilt, we know how to deal with it. Because if you mess up what you're supposed to do, 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Okay, you were guilty, but once you are cleansed, you are declared what? Righteous. What does that word righteous mean? Justify. What does justify mean? Not guilty. So in the eyes of heaven, you are not guilty. But I did it. Not guilty. But don't you know? Not guilty. Say not guilty. But some of us have accepted at a high level that we're not guilty, but we've carried the shame. The shame of decisions you've made that were stupid, that were evil, that were sinful. 
And although it might have been years ago, you still feel ashamed. Or how about this? Sometimes people carry shame and it has nothing to do with what they've done, but what was done to them. And you won't get the help that you need because you are ashamed of that being done to you or going through the situation in the first place or ashamed of a situation you find yourself in. You did everything right you knew to do, but now you're struggling and you are ashamed. And as I was sharing this in Fayetteville this morning, and I felt like my part was done, I handed over to Minister Isom and he shared that some people you might feel that you're ashamed because the situation you were born to was shameful. There's many different reasons why people can feel ashamed. But Jesus carried your shame. Shame is not a friend, it is an enemy. Shame is not a cure, it's a trap. Because if you keep thinking on shame, you won't go into your future. And there's too many people, because we talk about being separated from God today, and you can be separated not just from sin, but from a mentality. You have a mentality of shame. Whether it's something you did, something that was done to you, or something that other people did. And now you're separating from God because you're ashamed. What are you running from? What are you running from? What are you trying to escape? If Jesus has declared you not guilty, how dare you carry your punishment? If Jesus is not punishing you, how dare you punish yourself? No more shame. Because you won't enjoy the life of freedom if you live ashamed. Because it becomes an operating system. And there are people in here and watching online, you're making decisions because you're ashamed. That's why sometimes your reactions are very extreme to stuff. And no one knows why. You're ashamed about what happened to you. Or what someone did or something you did you won't even reach out and get the help that you need because you're ashamed and you've allowed this you've carried the shame so long and I, let me talk this happens to everybody I'll talk to the guys that you put on this bravado of strength but under that facade is a broken heart and shame It's time to let the shame go. I don't care for something that you did, something that someone else did, or something that you went through. It's time to let the shame go. It's another step forward in this journey of freedom. I don't care what your past is. And guess what? Jesus doesn't either. He doesn't. His blood washed away your sins. He's not sitting on the throne waiting to zap you when you make, make another mistake. He paid the price for you, for you to be free. 
You're not going to be holy if you live ashamed. You're not. You might put on a good religious show, but you won't be godly. And once again, Satan will take a good motive and trap you in something else. Stand to your feet. And as I close, Minister Dath, I need your help. Every head bow, every eye close in prayer. I think this is how we're going to end today. If you're a person who's like, with every head bow, every eye close in prayer, he's like, Pastor, that's me. I'm struggling with shame today. I'm not going to ask you why, or I'm not even going to ask you to come forward. But he said, that's me. Just pray for me. I'm struggling with shame today. With every head bow, every eye close in prayer, lift your hand high where I can see it. So I'm struggling with shame. Will you pray for me? Just lift your hands. I believe God's going to do a special work in you today. If you're at home watching online, he's going to touch you wherever you are as well. You don't have to put it in the chat, but you just acknowledge it wherever you are. So Jesus, I want your help dealing with shame today. Minister Nathan, I want you to sing out over them, no more shame. 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 Jesus carried it away. Jesus carried away. No more shame. No more shame. No more shame. You don't have the right. You don't have the right to be ashamed. To be He finds no fault with you. Finds no fault with you. He loves you so much. He loves you so much. He has paid the price. He has paid the price. And he has come to set you free. He has come to set you free. No more shame. You're the free. You're free. You are not your past. You are not your past. You are who God says you are. You are who God said you'll be. You are forgiven. You are delivered. You are You are clean. You are clean. You are clean. You are You are clean.
Thank you for streaming this message. I believe it encourages you and is going to help you make Jesus famous in your everyday life. We would love to be, stay connected with you. So subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, our YouTube channel, download our Faith Plus app, and visit us at FCCGA.com to learn more about our ministry. If you would like to support our ministry financially, you can also do so by our website at FCCGA.com or by texting FCCGA to 73256. If you would like to submit a prayer request, you can do so at our website as well. We would love to agree with you in faith, and we know you'll receive an answer according to the Word of God. Once again, thank you for streaming this message, and remember, God has a great plan for your life, and something